Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochilillo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I would just like to thank my uh, contributors to the show. Executive producer, Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger. Senior editor, Amanda Steele, author of Ghosts of Me. Binaural production engineer, Damien Keller, and author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great. And my monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And if you are interested in becoming a contributor to this podcast, you can go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and there's a bunch of information there on how to contribute. And uh, and it's not always money either. Uh, A lot of times all you you ask for is for people to share, post my uh, podcast and help get it out there. Uh, there's all different ways that you can give back to it. Um, and now, we've got all that out of the way. Without further ado, we have Mike Ricksecker. And he has written a book about shadow people. And I was just checking out some of his uh, YouTube videos before show and definitely got my attention. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, Gary, thanks for having me on. I absolutely appreciate it. Uh, I mean, so let's uh, start from the beginning, man. I mean, you have a great story on how you got into the shadow people from when you were a child. Can you share that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was certainly a, a crazy experience. Uh, it goes all the way back to when I was about eight years old. Woke up in the middle of the night and standing in the corner of my room was this tall, dark, figure and of course i didn't know anything from you know shadow people shadow entities anything like that at the time i just thought it was you know uh, an intruder in the house and it was about to kill me because that's you know about what you think at the age of eight and it ended up doing something uh very bizarre you know it, it came up to my bed i'm you know, trying to scream my mouth opens up nothing's coming out because i'm just you know too terrified too terrified too frightened and uh it leans over my bed. I'm looking up into this face. It's just totally blank. You know, there's no eyes, no nose, no mouth, mm-hmm. nothing. Um, still trying to scream. And the thing actually grabbed me by the wrists, crossed my arms across my body, and then it ran off down the hall and of all things into a closet. So I finally found my voice, found my legs, ran off screaming uh-huh. to my parents' bedroom. And, you know, their kind parents are trying to console me and, and trying to tell me that I just had a bad dream. But, you know, this is something that I was awake for the entire time. Wow. What do you think it wanted? Think it just wanted, um, to, that one, think it just know, wanted to scare you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I didn't know for, for a long, long time what what it was trying to do. And even to this day, I mean, there are some theories, but, um, 
you know, it's just really conjecture. A lot of these shadow beings, shadow figures, you know, they just stand there and watch and they're looking at you and they don't do a whole lot. So this one was a little bit different in which it actually physically interacted with me. And I've had a couple people suggest, and to some degree it makes some sense, that, you know, perhaps it thought that I was dead and was putting me into a burial pose, kind of thinking back to the ancient Egyptian sarcophagi where they had, you know, the crook and flail Mm -hmm. that they were holding with their arms crossed. Yeah, that's what it sounds like, a corpse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's certainly an interesting idea. And if that's the case, then what it would have been doing at that point in time would have been like, you know, trying to honor me or at least, you know, put me into a position that was more honorable you know if you think back to those ancient egyptians you know everything was geared to passing somebody successfully into the afterlife so if if that was the case then this thing wasn't really trying to scare me or do me a harm it was actually trying to do something nice for me right so it was being benevolent to you right right exactly i think that's something with these shadow beings that you know people don't take into consideration a lot of times you have so many people out there that immediately when you say shadow person they think of you know something that's dark evil and malevolent yeah. and while some of them sure are more nefarious in nature and i've i've been on you know cases like that and i've i've certainly heard some uh you know hair raising tales about some of these but most of them uh i believe are more at least benign you know some benevolent but uh, most of them are really just benign as they stand there and watch and really do nothing but people tend to fear what they don't understand and so they you know impart onto this uh entity that it it must be evil because it's shadow wow you know the first time i ever i never seen one myself but the first time i saw one on tv was on uh, the TV show Ghost Hunters, and I think they were at Waverly Hills, and they filmed some like walking past the windows, you know. And, and it was like they're like they looked like people, what they were formless, and they were just sort of like moving around really quick. And, and my first automatic assumption is like, all right, well, this is a place where there's a lot of great suffering, so they just must be human spirits. Um, do do you think that some of them are human spirits, or, or what, what do you think is, or do you think there's different varieties? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of different varieties, and human spirits are certainly one of one of those types. So, um, you know, I've actually seen the apparition of a little girl morph out of rolling black smoke. Um, you know, I've I've heard stories from other people about how, you know, they're having basically like a conversation telepathically, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with a shadow entity, and it turns out to be one of their relatives. So. Yeah, certainly a number of these are just human spirits that can't fully manifest as an apparition. Maybe they don't have enough energy to do so, to to become that full apparition and only come off as a shadow. So how do you think they come off as a shadow? Do you think they just absorb the light and that's what makes it appear like a shadow? Well, there's a lot of different theories as to as to how that works, whether it has something to do with the light or how our our eyes work, you know, our eyes being made of, of rods and cones. And, you know, a lot of times we see these out of our periphery where our mm-hmm. periphery can actually see uh, a bit into the infrared. So a lot of people will say, you know, I, I saw, you know, this, this shadow out of my periphery and I turned and looked and it was gone. And it's not necessarily that it's gone. It's just, you know, sometimes... Uh, right 
our, our physiological uh, makeup of our eyes can only take in, you know, certain wavelengths of, of light. And, you know, there's also an idea of, you know, personal resonance that, you know, everything in the universe is made up of, of energy and, you know, our own personal resonance vibrates at a certain frequency mm-hmm. there, you know, the, the shadow entities, their, you know, uh, personal re- resonance is vibrating at a certain frequency. So, you know, it may not necessarily even be that they're a shadow. They're just some sort of spirit. And, you know, as we try to, as our bodies try to tune into their vibration, we're only picking up, you know, a, a glimpse of whatever they truly are. And, and a great example is actually uh, that little girl, that I said, uh, the apparition that morphed out of the, the black smoke. Now, there were five of us there that saw her. We all saw her in a bit of a different way. Like, I saw her basically, you know, fully formed from her uh, her head, top of her head, all the way down to about her knees. And then she kind of just disappeared away where others saw her like from the feet up. And it was kind of like the top of her head that started to disappear. And others just really saw the torso. So we all saw her in a little bit of a different way. And I believe that's because, again, you know, our own personal resonance vibrating a little bit different mm. frequency than others. And so we're only able to, you know, get glimpses or, or different uh, aspects of some of these entities. Right. I think that, that does explain some of it. I, I totally agree that, that reality is mainly made out of, or completely made out of consciousness, really. Uh, so things definitely appear different to different people. Um, have you ever done any research, though, with using, uh, you know, like IR cameras, full spectrum cameras to, to pick them up on, on that to maybe look at the different changes in light frequencies? Yeah, you know, we use a lot of different equipment, you know, whether it's IR or uh, full spectrum or just, you know, your just regular basic camera. What's interesting is... I've kind of noticed that, you know, IR and full spectrum don't seem, at least in, in my experience, and other people's experiences may be different, that um, they almost don't pick up on it as well as just, right. you know, using a, a regular camera. In fact, my uh, the best shadow uh, capture that I have of you know, the, the shadow entity was probably about the height of a 10 or 11 year old child. Great capture because you can actually see it, you know, walking uh-huh. a little bit. And it was just a little... Um, several years ago now, it was just a little Canon Vixia HD camera, you know, nothing, you know, glamorous, but it was actually able to pick this up. Wow. One of the things that I, I just learned from watching your video, um, I mean, I've always, always assumed that shadow people were just dead humans walking around. And I never really thought about the idea that there's a different there's a variety of these shadow people. Um, like you mentioned, you know, the, 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 it's like the cloak shadow guy. There's the, um, the guy with the hat. Uh, there's ones with different color eyes. There's ones that move quickly. Um, can you give my listeners sort of an overview of the different variety of shadow people that actually you've, you've, uh, documented? Yeah, you're kind of going down the list right there. So there's, you know, the the basic humanoid figure, which is what I experienced when 
I was a child. There's, uh, you know, what people call the hat man or the man with the hat, uh, you know, which is basically like a humanoid figure, but he's wearing a lot of times it might be a fedora or a top hat. Sometimes he's wearing clothing that, you know, kind of correlates with that. So the ones wearing the fedora might also be wearing a, uh, you know, like a trench coat or the ones mm-hmm. wearing the cape might be wearing, or the ones wearing the uh, top hat might be wearing a cape. And there's, there's other different varieties of hats as well. Uh, then there's the hooded figure, which basically almost looks like, you know, a monk. And actually some of these are, um, you know, the human spirit uh, form of a monk, but others, you know, you, you're not quite so uh, certain. Then there's like the mist and the wisp. Uh, so, you know, the, the wisp being these very quick, um, you know, just like glimpses of a shadow that dart really quickly about the room or down a hall. Uh, the mist is more like, you know, it's very uh, vaporous, almost like a black cloud. And people, I've, I've, I've seen uh, that one as well. Uh, a large variety of different types. Um, there's the there's the crawler, which is you know, basically kind of you know, what its namesake describes. Yeah. It gets down on all fours and starts, you know, crawling around. That's you kind so of think of those, uh, yeah, you kind of think of like those demon possession mm-hmm. movies where the person gets down on all fours and starts crawling around. And it's kind of like that, but it's, it's some sort of shadow form. Uh, so yeah, there's a, a large variety of these different types of, of entities. You know, the ones with with the different colored eyes, and a lot of times it's red, but people see you know yellow and purple and all different colors as, mm-hmm. as well. So, uh, and then there's you know the old hag, uh, you know, with old hag syndrome that kind of gets lumped into all of this as well. Interesting. You know, like, like the guy with like the the hat. That's so strange because that's a a human thing. Obviously, is wearing a hat. So. Again, like right away, I would start thinking like a human. But then again, there's like a whole mythology of spirits that wore hats, like such as like Papa Legba. He always wore a hat. Um, what, what type of spirit do you think that the hat guy is? Yeah, and you even start getting into like different elementals, like gnomes that you know wear you know different types of hats and things like that. So uh, there's a, some different theories as to what the uh, the hat wearing entities are. Uh, a lot of people ascribe them to being uh, energy vampires. So like they'll come into your room at night, strike fear into you, and then feed off of that fear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of these are, are interdimensional beings. You know, in, in general, uh, shadow beings. Uh, in general, what I think a kind of quote-unquote true shadow person is, is an interdimensional being. But, um, you know, there's also an idea that some of these may be extraterrestrials or ETs. And you go back to, you know, the 1950s where you had like the big UFO flap and that's where people started reporting men in black. Um, You know, one of those pioneers, Albert K. Bender, uh, had had put out a book. His Actually, his book came out in the 60s, but he had reported it and it appeared, the story appeared in another book uh, in the 1950s about these three uh, hat-wearing entities with glowing eyes that appeared in his uh, study. He had basically uh, was working late at night. He had a, uh, uh, a little magazine that was putting out on UFO reports. He had started an organization and uh, these three hat-wearing entities materialized through the wall uh, into his study and basically warned him off of, you know, furthering this research. And he took them to be uh, ETs, extraterrestrials. And, you know, when I first heard that story, uh, to me, it was like, wait a minute, this is, to me, a shadow person, hat-wearing uh, type of entity story. Others would say 
it's a men in black story. Mm-hmm. And like I said, he ascribed them to being ETs. Well, maybe, you know, we're, we're all assigning a different terminology to something we don't quite understand yet. Right. Do, do you think any of them are demonic? Uh, there are some that are demonic. I'd say uh, <laughs> it's a misnomer to classify all of them as demonic, right. which, which seems to happen a, a lot. That you know, people will say, "Oh, I saw a shadow person; it's demonic." Or you know, there's some people out there that say, you know, all all shadow beings are you know the darkest of the dark and the evil, the most evil. And you know, they're not for the most part. But you do have some that are nasty, malicious, nefarious. I've been on one case. Uh, in, in which that had happened, and this was about uh, you know, 10 and a half years ago now. It was a case that was featured on The Haunted, which aired on Animal Planet back then. It's been in syndication on and off since then. And with this case, uh, she was seeing a, a shadow entity with the glowing red eyes in her closet. She was an adult daughter of the family. Other, other members of the family had seen it, and really they'd had a, a lot of different paranormal activity going on uh, within the house for a good 20 years. And we spent a lot of time uh, trying to narrow down exactly who or what this thing was, because there's a lot of tragedy associated with that house, um, a couple of suicides, a couple of attempted suicides. So we were trying to determine if it was one of those particular people or if this was okay. something else. And you know, as we were going through that research over you know several months, uh, she was progressively getting worse. So she was, you know that point where she was being oppressed and it was borderline possession. And we ended up uh, getting uh, demonologist Carl Johnson involved in that case and coming out to do a cleansing of the house. And where it kind of really hit home was as we're doing the cleansing, uh, we had had the family wait outside, but she came in to use the restroom. And then all of a sudden she's like talking at something against the wall in the master bedroom. We couldn't see what in the world she was talking at, but Carl decided to do a blessing over her. And as he was doing this, she suddenly doubled over in pain like she had just gotten punched in the gut and fell to the floor. We got her up. She was okay. And we you know, carried on. But later on, when I had listened through my audio from that night, right there where she got punched in the gut was this uh, you know, something malicious saying die. And then boom, she gets punched mm-hmm. in the gut. You hear her go, Ooh, like that. And so, you know, we were able to get the thing out of there and, and cleanse the house, but that was one where, you know, we had a renowned demonologist who's been in this field for 50 years, you know, declared that that was, that that was a demon case. And from everything that, you know, we saw, uh, we had no reason to argue that particular case. Wow. So how far, like, have you been able to research and documenting the existence of these shadow figures? Like at what point in history did they really start showing up? Yeah, these things go, you know, way back in the time. Um, you know, there's, I don't know, there's this strange idea out there that this is, you know, new terminology and this has only been going on for like 20 years or something like that. A lot of people, uh, point to this, uh, you know, an old episode with Art Bell where a Native American leader came out talking about uh, shadow people. And so I, I get so many emails, people point out, well, that was the beginning. It's like, no, no, no. This goes way, way back. You know, we're talking like ancient Sumer, ancient Egypt, where they had 
you know, like with uh, ancient Sumer, they had this. Uh, it was, to them, it was a demon known as as Alu, and he was known as a as a binding demon. He had you know no facial features. He had he actually had no limbs either, and he would hover over people at night and uh, would basically bind them, basically you know like sleep paralysis type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, ancient Egyptians believe in seven different parts of the soul. One of those being the Kabit, which was the shadow in the Kabit, along with the Ka, which is the animating force of the soul, would stay here on Earth to roam after death, while the other parts of the soul would go on to uh, the constellation of Orion. Uh, there are even, you know, again, Native American legends, kind of the same thing, uh, but they would believe in two parts of the soul, one the Shalombish, one the uh, Shalub. This is uh, Choctaw beliefs. And one would go on to the land of the ghosts, while the other uh, shadow would stay here on Earth. So you see this, you know, through cultures, you know, all over the world throughout all time. And you even go back to the uh, the spiritualism movement. And a, a lot of those, um, you know, mediums and spiritualists back then were, were talking about, uh, you know, shadow people. And uh, in, in my book, A Walk in the Shadows, I give a nice example with uh, Madame de Esperance, uh, which was a renowned medium back during that time in which she grew up in a house that had both ghosts and shadow beings. And for her, the shadow beings protected her from the ghosts. She was more scared of the ghosts than the actual shadow beings that were in her house as she grew up. But when she became an adult and she you know, got married and uh, moved into a new house, she was experiencing other shadows there that she didn't like so much. So it just, you know, even her experiences, she kind of points out that, hey, you know, depending on the shadow, they may be good or they may not. Wow. Uh, would the Grim Reaper count as a shadow figure? Uh, the uh, the Grim Reaper, and I get I get that a lot. This is a good question. Uh, the Grim Reaper is a psychopomp. So he is a, a a different entity unto himself that is basically a guide to carry souls into the afterlife. His his look because you know he's wearing the cloak and mm-hmm. he's dark. You know a lot of people you know you know tried to ascribe him to be a shadow entity, but he's, he's really not. He's his own thing, and uh, really he's just doing his job. Wow. When, when people encounter shadow people, are the shadow people, they stay in one location all the time, or do they attach themselves to people and go from one location to another? Yeah, another good question, and to me it really depends on the shadow. I think the ones that are human spirits have more of a tendency to attach themselves to people and follow them around, especially if it's a family member. So if like your aunt Trudy is appearing to you as a shadow and you, you know, move from one house to another, you know, she's probably going to, you know, continue to come visit and follow you to the next house. But I've also, uh, you know, heard other stories in which a great example, a, a family that came up to me at an event a couple of years ago and their daughters had been experiencing this hat-wearing entity in their bedroom. Three girls stayed in the one bedroom together. And he would always come to the foot of the bed of the one daughter and would just stand there and look down at her. And the other two, every night, well, not every night, but whenever he would show up, the other two would you know, watch this happen. And they would just stare at him. And you know, they're all petrified and scared, you know, this thing. But he never did anything. He just stood there. Well, after a few years of that happening, they moved away from that house. But 
that hat wearing shadow entity didn't follow them there. Uh, they they never saw him again once they moved. So then the question becomes, you know, is he attached to that particular house? And you'd have to go back to that house. Yeah, and has to find out. Hey, can we, can we check it out? You know? <laughs> Interesting. Um, as you can tell by the poster behind me, I'm a big X-Files fan. And there's an episode of the X-Files where this guy has a cast a shadow of antimatter. And when any time somebody steps into his shadow, you know, they, they just dissolve and go away. Um, do you think that the shadow people could be some type of physical manifestation of conscious antimatter? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, they could be projections. Um, I, I'm, I don't know so much about antimatter. I mean, it could be. Um, I'm really game for a lot of different theories. Um, you know, but one of the ideas that I postulate is that some of these could be like astral projections. You know, somebody who uh, knows how to project themselves right. when they end up in. You know, and the example I like to give for that is, let's say that there's a, a grandmother lives 500 miles away from, you know, her, her daughter and her granddaughter. And, you know, she wants to go visit and knows how to astral project. So maybe one, you know, one night she decides she's going to astral project to her daughter's house mm -hmm. and shows up in her daughter's room, shows up in her granddaughter's room. Well, how do they see her? Are they actually seeing her possibly uh, as the as the shadow entity? I mean, it, it could very well be possible that you know, astral projectors are sometimes showing up as these shadows. Right. And a lot of times when people are sleeping, they can astral project without even being aware of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'll have people, uh, you know, ask me questions or send me stories about, you know, hey, I experienced this or I saw this, you know, while I was dreaming. It may not necessarily be that they were dreaming, but that while they were asleep, that mm -hmm. they were uh, projecting somewhere and saw these uh, shadow entities uh, while projecting somewhere. Wow. Um, so, I mean, you kind of, it's interesting. You take this really, I'm having trouble putting my words in my mouth, but you, you're the first person I've ever talked to who has sort of categorized shadow people and put them into different categories and come up with some possibilities of the motives of each individual type of shadow person um like how did you be i mean obviously you told me how you you know your, your first experience but how did you research this subject and, and get people to even talk to you about this subject because i think most people are like, not gonna really be too open about seeing shadow people you know um and so so how did you begin like, like how did you start and how do you do these <laughs> interviews and all of that yeah um well I, I and i did have you know a couple experiences there as a kid uh certainly you know the first major experience there when i was eight and then when i was 13 i had a, another one that was a bit more playful really uh and you know as i became more and more involved in in the paranormal and i you know had some of my different books out like ghosts of maryland ghosts and legends of oklahoma and i'm going out on you know, some of these speaking engagements and, and talking about different subject matters. Um, there, there were some people that, you know, would ask me about, Hey, you know, I've seen, you know, this in my room at night, what do you think? And I would relate to them, my mm -hmm. story. And so it's a conversation that kind of over years started to pick up, you know, more and more pace. Um, 
I think, yeah, for a while, people were more hesitant to talk about you know, shadow entities and their experiences. I was even hesitant at first to to really talk about it. Uh, you know, it took me a few years of, of uh, doing this to, to really, you know, kind of open up and be like, all right, I'll go ahead and share, you know, this experience uh, that, that happened to me, you know, when I was a kid. You know, it's, I, w- I would share my experiences of, you know, the different paranormal investigations, but that would took a little while for me to open up about because it is kind of personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, I started, um, you know, instead of just talking about, you know, hauntings, acts, you know, ghosts of Maryland, I do a presentation on, you know, Maryland uh, haunted locations. The same thing with Oklahoma. Here's you know, some haunted locations around Oklahoma. Um, you know, I started talking more and more about experiences that I'd had on paranormal investigations or experiences that, uh, you know, people had related to me. And I, I noticed that, you know, several of these stories were uh, related to shadow people. And I still had people coming up to me at, uh, you know, different conventions and telling me their stories or asking me questions about. It. So I finally decided, you know, some years ago to, okay, I'm going to put a presentation together about, shadow people and that's where it really began probably i don't know eight ten years ago something like that when i finally started putting that uh presentation together and then once i started presenting that had all kinds of people uh you know coming up to me with Mm -hmm. with their stories and relating their experiences and so uh you know it just became a hot topic you know i put some videos out there on uh on youtube and you saw some of the more recent ones but i had some older ones back in the day that were uh, probably terrible as far as quality, but you know, it's, it started the conversation and, um, and yeah, so I just started compiling all this information and started really studying and trying to think about, okay, what are these different things? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, even as I've put this book out, I had, you know, the first, I put the first edition out, uh, last year and even through COVID, um, you know, the conversation continued to grow and grow and grow that, you know, just a year later, I put out a second edition with even more information. Mm-hmm. So you kind of slipped it in there with the paranormal stuff. It's good because I think like people are more open to ghosts, you know, because everybody, I think most people have had experiences with some type of ghost usually. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't met too many people that actually haven't. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's interesting that uh, the the... With the um, the shadow people, um, do they communicate? They can. So what's interesting about that is um, I hadn't had too many stories about communication until a few years ago now. Uh, I was at Ocean State Paracon. And my good buddy Carl Johnson was in the audience when I was giving a presentation on on shadow people, and from the back he he uh, shouts out, you know, do do they have voices? And when I got to the Q and A portion, I was like, you know, that's a great question, because you know, I hadn't had to meet uh, you know stories and you know, it, yeah, they always seem to be it, silent and watching. Right? Yeah, they're just usually standing there watching, being very silent. What's funny is, since then I've had a number of people. It's still more on the rare side, but I've had you know more people come forward telling me about how they have had some sort of communication. Usually it's telepathically or some sort of thought transfers, you know, where they're able to pick up the thoughts 
of the entity again you know it has no features it has no mouth so mm -hmm. it doesn't have the vocal apparatus to be able to project a voice so it's usually just all in the mind where they're able to uh you know to hear some sort of thought or get some sort of message from them hmm. do you think that there is any type of connection this is an out there question by the way but is, is there a question think there's any um connection between these shadow people and like bigfoot type of sightings because like when people see like 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 these cryptids or or what they believe to be cryptids when they get photographic evidence it's always like this blurry shadow thing right right yeah it's always uh <laughs> it's always hard to get Photographs. Yeah, I mean, there's there's an idea that uh, you know some you know, Bigfoot or Sasquatch, uh, you know, are actually interdimensional beings or right. ETs. And if the same is true of some of these shadow entities, then there could be uh, some relation there. I'll even get the same question about you know, like black-eyed children or skinwalkers or Wendigo. Mm -hmm. You know, people will ask me, are those a type of of shadow entity? And you know, I don't. I don't necessarily think that they are a, you know, a shadow being uh, because, you know, a lot of these other things have very distinct characteristics right. where, you know, shadow phenomenon really doesn't. Uh, but I do believe, uh, like I said before, a quote unquote true shadow person is an interdimensional being. So if that's interdimensional and these other things also are, then, mm -hmm. you know, they have something in common and that is they know how to travel interdimensionally. So, there may be some relationship there that we're not really aware of yet. Right. Do you think that they could be un unknowingly crossing over to our dimension or maybe that sometimes we unknowingly cross over to their dimension or even like a combination of both where we're meeting in the middle? Yeah, absolutely. Cause I've actually experienced this before. Um, yeah, there was this one time just wrapping up a paranormal investigation. It was at a restaurant called Johnny V's in the Skogie, Oklahoma. Uh, the restaurant's no longer in existence. The building is, but the, the restaurant is long since gone. Um, but we were just winding down on the investigation. A couple of guys were up in the bar area. A couple others were out in the front of the restaurant. And I decided to do a last photo sweep uh, of the building. And I'm walking through the main doors of the kitchen. And as I'm doing so, all of a sudden, this just wisp of a shadow just starts across the kitchen. You hear this slam into this side door of the kitchen. It was just this flimsy metal door. Um, you could like touch it and it would open. It's just meant for waiters and waitresses to carry large trays of food through. And uh, what was interesting about that, even though you heard the slam, the door did not move at all. And so I call out to the others, hey, did you guys hear that? And they're like, yeah, 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 we heard that. So I described to them what I saw. Um, then I start thinking, well, wait a minute, these, maybe these guys are messing with me. So I start asking them, did you guys throw something at the door? Like, no, no, no. I walk through the door, I'm looking around on the ground, and I didn't throw anything there. And even if they had, the door would have moved right. <laughs> if they had thrown, you know, like even a napkin at the thing. It was that flimsy of a, of a little door. <laughs> so I started asking myself, okay, what did I actually witness here? Now, when I walked into uh, that kitchen, it was like I scared it. It's like I walked in. My presence, you know, maybe it saw me as a shadow or a ghost or whatever. I have no idea, but I apparently scared it because of how it reacted and how it took off. 
And so what I think happened was that we had some sort of crossing of dimensions right there, or maybe even a crossing in a point in time. And that in its dimension, like I said, maybe it saw me as a shadow or maybe it saw me as a mm-hmm. ghost. And in its dimension, it took off through that door and blew right through that door. And that door probably opened in on its plane of existence. But the sound of it, I was able to hear because sound travels on a different wavelength, a different frequency, and that was able to traverse from one dimension to another. So even though I couldn't see it, I could actually hear it. So, yeah, I do think that we are observing sometimes a overlapping in dimensions or overlapping in uh, points in time. Hmm. Do you think that um, there's some kind of change happening with the dimensions like the way they're like that maybe our dimension is becoming or yeah like becoming closer to another dimension or crossing over to another dimension or you know like that are are we experiencing some type of cosmic event well i mean i believe all these things are happening concurrently like with with time i think you know every moment in time is actually happening at the same time i agree you know, past, present, future, yes. it's all happening concurrently. And there are sometimes we're not really sure what the catalyst is, but there are some moments that just resonate uh, identically. And we're able to get glimpses of each other where, you know, those that we think are, are ghosts or spirits are actually looking at us as, as if we are the ghosts and spirit. And you hear about some of these different time slips and interactions mm-hmm. like that, which are, you know, really, really interesting. So, you know, I, I think the same thing with, um, you know, with those you know, other dimensions that, you know, they are, they're all happening around us. They are here right now and we just can't usually see it. Um, You know, is there a a way that we can, you know, interact with it more often or we'd be able to see it more often? Is it happening more often now? Um, I'm not sure about that. I think, I think the ancients knew how to, to access that. I think they had a lot of different methods. I think that's what a lot of these, uh, you know, ancient sites of power, were used for, um, you know, like Stonehenge and Karnak, the, you know, the pyramids, you know, to, you know, not only for, you know, like healing purposes or calendrical purposes to be able to tell, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the cycles of the sun or the moon cycles or whatever. I think a lot of times they are also used to enter altered states of states of consciousness, consciousness in order to be able to access these other dimensions. And, uh, I, I think that, you know, as we are becoming more aware of what used to be, you know, back in ancient times, I think that, you know, we're getting closer mm-hmm. to being able to access uh, those other dimensions and those other points in time on a more regular basis. Do you think that's something that the governments are already doing, that they've been studying this and creating, you know, wormholes and um, stargates and things like that? Yeah, they certainly have an interest that uh, they've they've certainly looked into these uh, you know different types of methods. I and mean, Project Stargate was one in which they were uh, you know, using remote viewers, and that was to be able to, of course, try to spy on on our enemies and what mm-hmm. have you. But um, yeah, they def- they definitely have uh, different technologies that they are trying to uh, utilize to be able to. You know, open up portals or stargates, and uh, you know, I've I've been involved in uh, you know, some of those agencies before. So I, even though I wasn't directly uh, in on some of those projects, yeah, I you know had an inkling that you know some of those things are certainly going on. So 
uh, yeah, the, the government is definitely looking into these things. They just they try to be as covert as possible about it. <laughs> I guess it's got to be a tough one for them to explain. Right. <laughs> um, do you think it's possible for human beings to vanish through one of these portals? You know, like oh, there's sure. this, like there's this, yeah. um, all this stuff about like people going missing in like uh, state parks, for example. Maybe they're walking just into another dimension and not coming out. Yeah, you have a lot of ideas about that, um, like the missing 411 cases and, uh, you know, people disappearing, you know, out of nowhere. Um, I was on the show, The Alaska Triangle, and uh, that's, you know, some of the stuff that we explored uh, up there was not just missing people, uh, which, right. you know, is, is a big deal up there. Like 16,000 people have gone missing since um, 1987 up there. Uh, so quite a lot. But, uh, you know, you're talking like, uh, ships that have gone missing, airplanes that have gone missing, you know, this kind of, you know, Bermuda Triangle stuff, but this was up in Alaska. And, you know, just out of nowhere, you know, on a perfectly fine day, these airplanes just suddenly go missing, never heard from again. Uh, you know, there's an idea that they are traveling through some sort of portal ending up in another dimension or another place in time. And, you know, an idea that I've postulated, and we talked about it on the show, at least to some degree, where there was in, in Alaska in 1950, there was this missing or this Douglas airplane that went missing, uh, just kind of crossing over the Alaska border into Canada and just gone nowhere. Uh, you know, a lot of people believe that it actually passed through some sort of portal. And kind of like I was talking before about the uh, you know the the sound traveling at a different frequency and i was able to hear it mm -hmm. uh you know cross-dimensionally well there was some radio chatter that they caught later on that a lot of people believe came through the portal kind of the same thing where you know it physically disappeared but we were still able to hear um you know something mm -hmm. you know some sort of uh you know uh sound frequency from there but uh, the idea I've thrown out there now is, okay, let's say it did go through that portal, disappeared from our point in time. Let's say it went back in time 500 years. You have all these legends of the Thunderbirds, you know, in, in that area of the country. Well, in a lot of different areas of the country. Well, you know, their descriptions were these very loud, very huge, you're talking, you know, anywhere from 40 to 100 foot wingspan of these things. Now, 500 years ago, they're not thinking airplane. They had no idea what that was. Right. They're thinking some large bird. So maybe what they were observing was, you know, an airplane that went missing in our modern times, went through a portal back in time, appears there 500 years ago, and they attribute it to, you know, the legend of the Thunderbird when it maybe really wasn't. Maybe wow. it was this airplane lost through some sort of interdimensional portal. That makes so much sense. Like even like the idea of a sonic boom would be perfect for the name Thunderbird. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a great idea. I've never even considered that one. Um, so how uh, do 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 you think that any of these beings, the, like the ones that you've encountered, that were malicious, um, and like say they figure out how to come here before we figure out how to go there to use the portal? Do you think that uh, could, could you imagine a world, our world, being invaded 
by shadow people? I, I think they already have figured that out. Um, you know, like I said earlier, you know, kind of quote unquote true shadow person to me is an interdimensional being. So I believe they've already figured this out. Um, you know, some of them could be time travelers as well. So it kind of makes you question, okay, if they if they have figured that out, if they are coming here, why haven't they invaded us yet? Or is it a silent invasion? Maybe they're trying uh. to you know, manipulate us somehow. I mean, it, I mean, at this point, it's, it's very, very speculative. But yeah, there are ones that are more nasty and nefarious, and they, they tend to kind of pick on individual people. And why that is, you know, we're, we're still we still really don't know their their motives you know we we speculate as to what that may be mm-hmm. you know people talk about you know energy vampires and that you know they you know they do these different things to feed off of them okay to what end you know what do they need that energy for besides you know survival what is it they're actually trying to do um you know there's a lot of um correlation between et abductions and some of these uh reports of of shadow person activity where you know people experience the sleep paralysis and you know something kind of hovering over them and you know maybe even kind of poking and prodding uh, with with some of the shadow stories but mm-hmm. of course you get that with the with the et stories so um you know are we just you know ascribing new terminology or new ideas to this phenomenon that's been happening for millennia right. that's possible as well do shapeshifters sort of fall under the category of shadow people uh, well shapeshifters I, I get that question with like skinwalkers which mm-hmm. you know, skinwalkers are you know more of like a native american uh type of a shapeshifter i believe that they are you know different entities that they you know they they may be related somehow uh, if they are, you know, if they are also interdimensional beings. You know, so they could have some similarities, but I believe that they are actually different entities. With the interdimensional travel, do you think that is a technological uh, method, a modality, a technical modality, or uh, a spiritual one? Yeah, you know, that's a great question um, because a lot of our scientists and they do a phenomenal job of trying to you know research this uh, with, with you know, quantum physics and, and everything. Um, and you know, you read on this and they will tell you that you know for you know real time travel that you need you know vast, vast, vast amounts of energy, or you need to get close to a black hole, and then you know it'll spin space and time and and all of that and. Yeah, I think that if you're trying to like force a physical time travel, then okay, sure, that would work. While you know, getting close to a black hole would rip your body apart, so you know, <laughs> it wouldn't really be feasible. Um, but I think that for us to actually achieve time travel, as in the way we conventionally think it works, like you know, us going back to another point in time, or even going to the future, and if you know, time is all working, you know, all here concurrently, then we should be able to do that. I think it is more of our consciousness and, and more uh, spiritual in nature. And um, I always point to the old movie Somewhere in Time with with Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that. Uh, they were onto something with that, and I can't remember that. It's it's based off of a book, and I can't remember the author's name off the top of my head. But um, you know, the idea that he was able able to will himself 
back in time into the early 1900s, basically jumping, you know, from the 1970s to early 1900s, just by um, you know, making everything in his room look like he was back in the time frame. He got the, you know, the clothes and, you know, he, the money and, and everything that he had around him to basically trick his mind into thinking he was back in that right. point in time. And he was able to do it. Now, it may work a little differently in reality, but I think it does have more to do with our consciousness uh, in sending that back rather than, you know, physically like using a DeLorean or whatever, <laughs> you know, a physical machine. I think it does have more to do with consciousness. Right. So if it has to do with more of consciousness, then I'm going to have to, I, I'm guessing that you kind of subscribe to more of a, a holographic reality type of model. Um, yeah, in, in some degrees, sure. Um, I'm, I'm not so sure yet if I'm totally on board with every principle of the holographic universe, but, um, you know, I, I certainly believe that it has uh, a number of, how would I say, um, I mean, I would ascribe to some of the uh, the principles of mm-hmm. it, just not everything yet, at least. <laughs> but, you know, um, you talk, you look at something like the simulated universe or, or what have you. I mean, our, all of our major religions basically already say that we're in a simulation. They just use der- different terminology for it. Right. So if, if we're here um, in some sort of simulation, what actually is it? Is it like the matrix where we're, you know, you know have something plugged into us and we're jacking into a computer program? I don't necessarily think it's a computer program. I think yeah, it's I more, uh, you know, organic or biological, mm-hmm. but has some of those same principles that, you know, we're down here, you know, running through what, whatever you want to call this a simulation or, or what have you. And, um, you know, there's again much more around us than we're able to see with our with our physical uh, eyes. Do you think that the entire universe is conscious and alive? Yeah, everything's connected. Uh, absolutely, uh, everything. From, I mean, we all, you know, from the Big Bang, we all started in the same little, you know, singularity and expanded outward. Um, you know, and you know, however you know, many milliseconds that was, you know, it's extremely. Uh, extremely, extremely fast. But yeah, we were all, you know, together in one thing at one point in time, you know, even here on, on earth, um, yeah, we're all made from similar startups, yes. right? Um, as, as the, uh, as the solar system came together and all of this matter coalesced into what we now call earth. Um, yeah, we're, we're all so from the same thing. So we all have that connection. You look at, uh, some of the, you know, x-rays from like the Chandra telescope and, you know, you're seeing the energy from like one galaxy to another stretch and you're actually physically seeing how, you know, these, uh, you know, these gases have stretched out and are connecting, you know, everything around the universe. So yeah, we're definitely connected. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I definitely believe, you know, with the, I'm right there with you. With the holographic universe theory, um, you know, a, a lot of it makes sense. I don't believe that we're part of a computer program. And I do believe that, though, that we are part of a whole organic type of consciousness. And, and we don't... We're, I don't think we're, we're conscious enough yet to even understand it. <laughs> and, and that's why we have so many unexplained phenomena like the shadow people. Yeah, absolutely. And there's even, 
ideas out there. And I talk about it in my book, A Walk in the Shadows, about how, okay, if we are in a simulated universe, what would shadow people be w- within that universe? And I do actually make some parallels to, uh, you know, to the Matrix movies in that, you know, perhaps some of these are, you know, like the agents in rather than, you know, doing all the, <laughs> you know, uh, crazy things that agents would do in, in the movies that they're, you know, just watching and observing us, maybe keeping us in line uh, a little bit to a degree. But I kind of relate it to, you know, you, you take your massively multiplayer online games and there are, you know, game masters that that drop in and um, usually you can't see them. And, uh, you know, every once in a while, as you're a player, you kind of get an idea, wait a minute, there's somebody else around here. You saw, you know, some sort of, you know, like glitch in the matrix or whatever. And you realize, okay, there is actually, uh, you know, one of the game masters here. So is that kind of what we're seeing, you know, with these shadow entities are some of these like kind of quote unquote game masters from mm-hmm. whatever home world that we're from. Do, do you think that there's, I mean, you already said that you, you think that everything's connected, you know, um, some of the other, like on th- things that are typically associated with time, like the Mandela effect. And um, I was going to think of someone else, but I forgot. But how about like that? You think that could be, you know, part of this? Yeah, the Mandela effect is really interesting. Um, You know, and and people will take the Mandela effects and uh, start to use that as proof of, you know, parallel worlds and universes. And, you know, there could certainly be something to that because I've actually experienced the Mandela effect myself. And, you know, a lot of the, you know, common uh, Mandela effect uh, examples, you know, have to do with like Oscar Mayer, or, you know, Mr. Monopoly and you know, some of those like, things. Are, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or Nelson Mandela himself. But, um, you know, what, what, what it really hit for me was um, it was a movie called Soul Survivor. And uh, I... You know, some years ago, I was trying to, to research that movie. I didn't remember the name of it. My mother and I were talking about this particular movie um, over over dinner one night. We're like, yeah, what was that movie from? Yeah, it was an old black and white movie from, you know, like the 1950s. And, you know, these, you know, these guys, they were ghosts. They were, they were uh, World War II pilots that had crashed in the desert and they were ghosts and they were playing baseball. And, um, and then they, uh, they, they got discovered by, you know, um, others you know other military members from the u.s had come to try to retrieve the airplane so what was that movie we couldn't figure it out so you know i start googling it and, and trying to find out what the name of the movie was and all of a sudden i start coming up i start finding all this bizarre stuff about this movie that you know, supposedly it wasn't in black and white it was in color and william shatner was in it i'm like william shatner was not in this movie what are you talking about and you know and that um, they knew that they were, you know, ghosts all along. It was like, you know, my mom and I were like, no, they found out along the way that they were ghosts. They didn't know at first that they were dead. So it's just bizarre, but it's like, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to watch this movie. And so um, I, I found it somewhere online and I start watching it. And I'm like, hmm, I'm not really sure. Because again, it's like, you know, it has William Shatner. They knew they were ghosts all along. It's mm-hmm. a color. It's like, uh, I love it. But then finally... There's this one point in the movie, this one particular line where um, the, the one guy had gone over to listen to a baseball game, came back to the rest of the guys. And you're like, so how was the game? It was like, oh, yeah, the game was fine. But, you know, somehow they moved, you know, Brooklyn to Los Angeles, you know, referring to the Dodgers. And 
you know, I always thought it was funny because he was kind of a dumber guy. <laughs> he thought that they had like physically moved the city and not just the team. And I remembered that line from when I was a kid. And I was like, oh my God, this is the freaking movie. But how in the world do I remember it as being black and white and, and you know, all this other stuff and, you know, being a 50s movie? This movie is from like the 70s. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and I, you know, doing a little bit more research on it, I, you know, come, come to find out there are several other people you know, from around the world that remember it the way that I do and that my mother does, but yet the actual movie itself is very, very different. So what in the world happened here? Yeah. How, how, how do you even explain that? Like, I know for me, you know, I did, I always assumed that I never experienced the Mandela effect. And then I was interviewing somebody and he, go, he asked me, he goes, does a Kit Kat bar have a dash in it or it doesn't? And I was like, oh, of course it has a dash in it. It always had a dash in it. And then I go and I look, and of course it doesn't. <laughs> like, <laughs> why do I remember it that way? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's an, that's another one with with Kit Kats. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I could I could swore there was a dash there. Yeah. And it just doesn't make any sense. Like, just like false memories. So yeah, I mean, reality is such a a sketchy thing. Um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, like time, we we know how to experience time, we know how to measure time, but we don't know what time is. Um, gravity, even some, even gravity, like we know gravity's there, we know what it does, we can measure it, we can use it, but we don't actually know what it is, and that's what holds everything together. And um, you know, and I think that all this is somehow. Um, it, it makes me that's what makes me believe that these entities are real just knowing that that we cannot explain some of the simplest things that we deal with every day to to write something off like shadow people I can't do it I have to say like there has to be something there's something to this there's certainly something to it and I think they have figured out a few more things about the universe than we have um, you know Earth is a relatively young planet compared to the rest of the universe. You know, we're four and a half billion years old, which sure, that sounds like a long time, but considering that the universe is closer to 14 billion years old, um, you know, there's a lot of other, uh, you know, entities and, um, you know, beings and what have you around the universe that have been at this a lot longer than we have. And I think have mastered uh, some of these properties that, you know, we're just starting to kind of think about now, Mm -hmm. you know, we haven't gotten close to mastering anything. We're just thinking about it now. (laughs) So so, you think uh, it could be like aliens? Yeah, I think certainly some of them are. Uh, Again, I think some of them are time travelers as well. You know, they could be even be, you know, coming here from some, you know, other universe or, or what have you. Um, you know, and that one's taken me a long time to get my head around too. you know, mm-hmm. other universes, you know, how many of them are there? And people will you know, say, well, there's, you know, infinite numbers. Okay. Well, where, where do they all sit? Right. So, you know, <laughs> it, it, I think it takes a little while for the human mind to kind of wrap its, itself around some of these different ideas. But once you, you know, once it finally clicks for you, you're like, Oh, okay this one clicks and that makes now that makes sense over here and that makes sense over there and yet we're still barely even you know scratching the surface here hmm. i mean you mentioned that that you believe that some of these could be responsible for the you know demonic phenomena do you think that they're also responsible for the angelic side of it all as well 
Yeah, for for sure. You know, some of these could uh, certainly be like light beams, and um, it's uh, you know it's it's interesting. So there are examples of people that are on their deathbed at about at a hospital, and some people will you'll see light beams around you know mm-hmm. their loved one there at the hospital. Other other times, people will see shadow entities around them. Well. They could possibly just be the same thing. Sometimes you got to think again to the physio- uh, physiology of our of our eyes. That you know, sometimes a light is so bright it goes beyond the spectrum that we can actually see it. And I think that's what happens sometimes is that you know it's it's still a light beam, but the light is so beyond what we can see, we can't pick it up with our eyes. And what we're left is the being that's in the middle. Mm-hmm. You know, or you could even think of. Uh, you know, you, you stare at a light bulb long enough, right? And all of a sudden you're left with this like dark image of the bulb, right? Yeah. So, you know, that could be almost what we're seeing there sometimes. So it may just be one and the same and we're ascribing it to two different things. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, when my uh, my father was passing away, we put a baby monitor in the room and he was having full on conversations with people that were already passed away. It was one of the weirdest things I ever experienced. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Some of these stories that you hear, like when when my grandfather, uh, my mother's side, had passed away, you know, he swears that he was visited by his grandfather, who he never actually even met. You know, at least he doesn't have a memory of mm-hmm. him at all. That you know, his grandfather had passed away, like when he was extremely extremely young, and yet, you know, he apparently came into the room to visit him while he was on his deathbed. So yeah, you hear some of these really interesting stories like that. Wow. Um, so do you think that you have an agenda for us? I mean, other than to just observe? I mean, that's what it seems. I mean, like, like most of our cats, like we've already talked about, they seem to just be hanging out and watching. Um, and then do we have accounts of some of them helping, I think, like, like, like with you, like, you know, it seemed like it was a benevolent entity that you encountered when you were eight. And a lot of them, other ones just seem to be lurkers. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. A lot of them just seem to be lurking and watching and observing. And, you know, uh, you know, why is that? I mean, that's kind of the big question. You know, you know, why is it, you know, they're doing what they're doing? Um, you know, we, we can speculate, you know, I, I think, uh, I, I think they're very, very patient. Um, I, I think that, you know, they're out either out of that river of time, you know, time just being a human construct and they're able to, you know, we've we've talked a lot about, you know, being able to traverse time and, you know, time not really existing. And if, you know, they've already figured that out, then yeah, time is meaningless to them. So they have all the time in the world, right. To be able to Mm -hmm. uh, watch and observe and take notes. And so they're, they're not in a hurry to do anything. And maybe they, uh, because you do hear about some cases in which they, they do interact a little bit or they might help or, you know, they might do something here or there. Um, but it's kind of the exception rather than the rule. So, you know, we don't know what those, those rules are as to why they may interact on one occasion and don't on others. You know, are are they interacting at one point in time and then seeing how that, that one little interaction plays out for the next five years, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're just data collecting after that. We don't know, (laughs) but, uh, it, it certainly gives us a, a lot of food for thought. Right. Like, like I know a lot of people, like, even with the aliens, they kind of will believe that there's this prime directive that they can observe but not interfere. 
you know, I don't know because they do seem to interfere you know, from <laughs> time to time, you know? So, um, you know, I don't know if there really is a, a prime directive like that to not interfere as it is that, you know, they pick and choose their spots for, you know, some, some particular reason, you know, there's a lot of people that believe that ultimately, you know, they're, they're here to help us. Uh, and they're here to, to guide us. A lot of people believe that they are actually us, you know, mm-hmm. from, you know, either, you know, some other galaxy, you know, that have, you know, if, if, if earth was seated and we are actually them and they're coming to, you know, you know, check in on us, or, you know, if they are traveling here from another point in time that, uh, you know, maybe they're trying to guide us to a, a better future because, you know, we screwed something up along the way. They don't want that same future. You know, it, we can go down that rabbit hole all night. Right. What about the consciousness of other living things? Like say, for example, a tree, if you have like a, a 150 year old tree that tree probably has accumulated a certain amount of consciousness and maybe that a tree i mean something that looks like to us in in that's inanimate is able to astral project itself as a shadow figure you know there's a lot of ideas that um the inanimate objects like that or even like a building can can hold memories um you know, there's an idea out there about like stone tape theory in that, uh, you know, whether it's like stone or the, the surrounding mineral deposits or metal or, or mm-hmm. you know, something like that uh, can retain the energy from an event or people. And we don't know what the catalyst is, but, you know, something will happen to kick it off and we get to see, you know, like some sort of a playback or, um, you know, maybe a consciousness, you know, sets forth out of it to, to do something um and we're just not really sure what that catalyst is to make that happen so right. yeah there's certainly an idea of um you know energy being retained in something for a long period of time and then you know suddenly having a release like that yeah yeah it's just something that i always think of when i come across something that's really old and you know older than, than you know most of us yeah, I mean, shit, we find stuff that's older than the human race. I, you know, I, obviously that has to contain some type of energy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then you try to put yourself back in that time. Okay, you know, what was the world like at this point? You know, it was, <laughs> it was vastly different. You know, mm-hmm. We think we understand, but um, I, I think, you know, we just we really don't, you know. We, we want to, and we're trying to figure it out, but mm-hmm. a lot of times we can't even you know, bad. I mean, you just go back like to the age of the, you know, like dinosaurs and you're talking these huge monstrous, you know, type of, uh, <laughs> you know, type of creatures. And well, everything was more, you know, monstrous back then, you know, the trees and the plants and, and all that, there's you know, uh, more you know oxygen going around the earth at that point in time. So even if we went back to that point in time to observe it, you know, there might be too much oxygen for us to take in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's weird. It's crazy. There's so many possibilities with these topics that you know they're, they're endless. Um, well, I mean, I I mean, you've been around the block with the paranormal investigating. Um, what have what other events other than what you experienced at eight years old has had a profound impact on you? That's really just changed the way you look at things. 
Oh, I mean, there's a lot of things. You're having kids. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've stayed away from that one. <laughs> right, right. I yeah. I mean, it's you know, I mean, I, I there's so many life experiences. You know, I mean, I you know, at a very young age ended up uh, you know, in Alaska for three years. You know, I had a lot of um, it was kind of like a crash course in in life, you know, uh, you know, being in the, uh, in the military for, for six years at, at a young age, cause I went like straight out of high school. Um, so that was kind of a rude awakening. Um, wow. Why'd you, you know, do that? Uh, my best friend talked me into it. <laughs> <laughs> is he still your best friend? <laughs> he is. He is. So we kind of joke around about it, but it's it's one of those that you know at the time I was like, what in the world I get myself into? But um, I, I've come away with so many you know interesting experiences I would never have had if I hadn't have done it. So um, even though I'll, I'll I'll say you know the military wasn't really for me, but still having that experience um, certainly taught me a few things and you know i'm kind of thick-headed enough and maybe it took a little while for those things to sink in yeah um, how about like paranormal wise yeah paranormal wise you know that that moment that i knew that um this was going to be something that i would certainly you know was going to follow and have a great interest in um you know i had like we said that experience when i was eight when I was 13, I had another shadow experience, very different. Um, I got more playful with it because it was just, you know, this more translucent type of shadow that was showing up in my bedroom doorway mm-hmm. while we'd moved into a new house and I'm packing things, putting things away, and it would just show up there and it would I'd turn and look and it would take off down the hall and um, ended up asking my mother about it. And uh, she was like, yeah, yeah, I've, I've that i guess she thought i was a little more mature at that time and mm-hmm. so she wasn't alarmed by it so i just got playful with it started calling to tom like peeping tom <laughs> and i'd see it and be like, hi tom and you know he'd take off um but see yeah and around that time i was reading um well my mom had got me the book uh yankee ghost by hans holzer which um you know as as an interesting way to remember where i had you know lived for 10 years of my childhood um we moved from massachusetts back back home to ohio and so she got me that book and so i'm like reading through it on on uh on the drive as we're moving and i was like wait a minute these are actually true stories so i was absolutely fascinated so i had a i had an interest in it but that moment that i knew was um was about 15 years old and my friend david and i we were just visiting our, our friend Lori. She was, lived in an older house downtown of, of our of our town, and uh, we're just sitting in our living room, kind of shooting the breeze, talking teen drama, and you know all that garbage. Uh, but all of a sudden, she says, "I think my house is haunted." Like, oh, okay, well, this is interesting. So she starts telling us about how you know there's an old family cemetery in the backyard, and you know, all these things going on around the house, and she tells us that. Um, this one wall in her bedroom, she thinks the wall is haunted. She thinks, um, she tells us that every time she tacks something up on this wall, that it would fall down. Uh, she couldn't keep anything tacked on there, you know, a poster or whatever. You know, it would stay up there a day, a week, maybe a, a month, but it would always fall down. She couldn't keep anything up on this wall. So, okay, we're going to go investigate. So we go upstairs. We had no idea from paranormal investigations at, at that time. There weren't any of the TV shows. You know, the internet wasn't even around back then. You know, and so we had no idea <laughs> what we were doing. But we're going to go up there and check it out. And you know, so we're in the room. We're looking around, checking stuff out. You know, looking at the wall. Um, 
finally my friend David, I didn't realize at the time that he was a really you know, sensitive guy. And he put his hand flat into the wall. And all of a sudden he turns this bright, bright red and starts sweating profusely. And I'm looking at my friend. I'm like, oh my God, what in the world's going on with David? And he starts going from like wall to wall in the house to see if there are any more hot spots like this. And I'm just like looking from the wall to David. And I'm, and that was the moment that I knew like, Oh my gosh, I am absolutely fascinated by this. And, you know, I knew somehow way, somehow way, shape or form, I was going to be involved in this for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. I know for me, what got me into it when I was a kid was, the show in search of with Leonard Nimoy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember I was so that was like all there was on back then. Yeah. I, I was so obsessed with that show. I would just watch the reruns of it over and over again. It would drive my mom crazy. She's like, why do you love this weird stuff? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just obsessed with it. And here I am, you know, 55 years old and I'm still completely obsessed with it. <laughs> just looking for answers. There you, go. Um, you know, and I think, I know for me, what really draws me toward towards this type of topics is the mystery. I, I love the mystery behind it. And the reason I like the mystery behind it is because it forces me to have an open mind and it forces me to challenge how I view things constantly. How about you? Oh yeah, absolutely. I love the mystery. In fact, you know, when, when I started writing, I, I've been writing since I was seven years old and um, I, I started off with, with mystery. In fact, my first book is a mystery novel. Um, I had always wanted to, uh, at least back then, you know, at the age of seven, I was trying to mimic the Encyclopedia Brown books. You remember those? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I loved those books. Um, so, yeah, it is, it is like a, a great mystery. And, uh, you know, you put on, your, put on your detective hat and try to go you know, figure it out. So, but in this case, we're trying to figure out the mysteries of, of the universe rather than, you know, you know, Bugs Meanie stole the money and where'd he hide the money sort of yeah. thing. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just the idea of discovering something has always been cool to me, whether it's like paranormal or an archeological discovery, whatever it is, anything that kind of changes what we already know. And it seems okay, absolutely that, and that's and what you're doing with like ancient history. And cause, cause all of this goes back to that time, you know, mentioned earlier that uh, I think the ancients knew a lot more about what was going on with this phenomenon than, than we do now. We're just mm-hmm. rediscovering. So as we go back into our you know, archaeological sites, you go into ancient, uh, ancient Egypt or, um, you know, they're, they're uncovering like Gobekli Tepe and, you know, some of these even more ancient <laughs> sites that they're you know, coming across more and more information. Right. And so um, I always get a kick out of uh, posting these articles on like, you know, my Facebook and, and what have you, whenever they uh, discover something and they're like, Oh, you know, such and such a thing is older than we originally thought. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. Keep digging, keep digging. <laughs> it, it, it's almost, almost everything that we were, I was taught in high school from history class is now been proven false. <laughs> yeah. Toss it off the window. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's not even actual history. <laughs> No, <laughs> it just shows how much we're learning all the time, and 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 just can't dismiss anything anymore. I mean, it's got you got to be open to everything. Yeah, you really do. You really have to keep an open mind about these things. And so it's 
to me, it's really sad when um, some of the, uh, I guess, disciplines, for, for lack of a better term, you know, these scientific disciplines where they get, you know, they pigeonhole themselves into a certain theology mm-hmm. and they stick themselves there because, you know, they don't want to lose their funding or, you know, they already have three books talking about, you know, a, a, a different hypothesis and, you know, they don't, they don't want to, you know, lose the, <laughs> the three books. It's like, man, just write another one. Um, but it, it, in so many cases, it comes down to money and I get it. You know, they have, they have a job, they need to feed their family and they want to keep doing their research and where they're getting their funding. It's coming from like one specific location that is, you know, adamant that this is the way you can't, you can't in their minds go off on some crazy tangents. So you're right. like, okay, you know, it, just so that I can you know, keep my funding and at least be here, I'll keep going. And I think a lot of these guys know that what they're actually publishing uh, is is incorrect, but they they keep mum on the newer things that they're discovering because because they don't want to lose their funding and things like that. When you encounter like like as an independent researcher, do you ever encounter some of these collegiate type of guys and you know kind of get in a debate with them? Yeah, you know, to, to some degree, but it's it's interesting. It's it's. Um, it, it's interesting the things that they'll debate you on and then the other things that you know they'll be like well off the record that agree right. with me on that one <laughs> right sometimes those guys kind of wish that they were the independent guy like you yeah yeah it's it's um you know kind of the, the pros and cons of it like as, as an independent guy i have a harder time getting access to certain locations that they are in you know they have no problem getting that type of access and Mm -hmm. of course that's why you know they keep mum on some of these things because they want to retain uh their access to those locations so um you know you you make the right connections i get into some you know pretty cool places um you know and so you you just make those connections and get in there and you know do what you can i i probably won't ever have access to all the places i want but Mm -hmm. Um, as I continue going, I get access to more and more locations. Do you have a favorite place that you've investigated? Oh, um, <laughs> we're places. Quite a few favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have quite a few favorite places. Um, you know, as far as like a, a paranormal location, like my favorite, um, all-time haunted houses, uh, Stone Line Inn in Guthrie, Oklahoma. It's just an absolutely beautiful house. I mean, you walk up to the place, you're looking at it like, yeah, that that place is haunted. <laughs> uh, but it has a very creepy, cool ambience when you walk in there. It's just absolutely beautiful inside. You know, the the floors are creaking all the time. It's almost like you hear voices upon the air, you hear footsteps and just... Now, I've had some good experiences there, too. Um Mineral Springs Hotel in Alton, Illinois. Uh, absolutely love that building. Uh, you have like five levels um, that each have like their own energy. And um, you, know, you have like the abandoned pool and the the, uh, the abandoned upstairs. And it's, it's still being used. There's some shops and things like that in there. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's a very, very cool historic location. You go down to the sub-basement and the old Mineral Spring is still there. It's like this hole that's in the ground they've kind of packed it in with some with some garbage but because there used to be a cistern that was on top and then 
um, you know, they, they'd siphon the water out of the old mineral spring. But basically, it's like this hole that's in the ground it's right along the Mississippi River. Uh-huh. Uh, the Cahokia Mounds are right down the road. And so you have this, all this in the limestone bluffs and everything are right there. So you have all this energy with this hole into the ground. It just energizes the whole building. It's, it's wow. amazing. Have you ever snuck into a place that you weren't supposed to be? Um, yeah, more or less. <laughs> we've all done it. <laughs> yeah, we've all done that. Yeah. I don't do that too often, especially anymore. But yeah, back in the day, it's kind of what you had to do at times. Or, you know, there was some abandoned building. You're like, I know this is somebody else's private property, but nobody comes out here. So we'll, we'll go there. Yeah, that's the best way to get started, I think, especially as teenagers <laughs> in early 20s. Yeah, yeah. Just hanging out in abandoned houses. I know I, I lived near a, uh, an abandoned, insane, well, this was, and it was a tuberculosis place, actually, and then it became an a insane asylum, and then it shut down, and and that place was pretty scary, especially in the morgue. Was, I don't know if I should have spent the night in that morgue. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, some of those places you start to question yourself years later, like, should I have really done that? <laughs> some of the crazy stuff we do. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Do you have any places that you're looking forward to going to? Well, this June I'm going to Egypt, so that's oh going to be amazing. Oh, my God, that's a dream. Um, yeah, the Return of the Kepler Cycle uh, tour. So I'm going there with my uh, good buddy Johnny Enoch. Um, Jay Widener is going to be there, Mohammed Ibrahim. So we're going with a good group Uh Several others, of course, coming along on the tour. But, um, yeah, we're going to be there at the Great Pyramid on the solstice. So it's going to be amazing. What do you think the Great Pyramid is? Do you think it was a – I know I have one guy on here. He swears it was a pump, some kind of energy pump. You know, and then other yeah, people think it was a communication device. Other people think it was used for acoustics. There's so many different ideas on what the pyramid is. Yeah, there are a lot of different ideas that have been uh, floating out there now. Yeah, there's the whole idea that was some sort of uh, power plant. Um, I'm not sure yet. Uh, that's that's one of the things I'm going to be trying to figure out while I'm out there, if if I can figure it out. You know, get get my own opinion on it. Cause, yeah, I've heard a lot of the different theories and yeah the the grand gallery is supposed to be acoustically attuned well i'm gonna go there with tuning forks and see you know um and see what happens right so um yeah there's there's that whole idea of how it's uh you know uh you know that the whole idea that it was a power plant in all these different uh, areas are around the plateau and even like connecting to you know some of the different temples uh, where you know the obelisks were almost like right. their own you know tuning forks and able to connect that energy together and so we'll see you know we'll see uh, what the deal is what do you, do you think um, I mean going to Egypt what do you think of uh, ideas you know people that believe that uh, Atlantis and Lemuria existed I, I do. I, I believe that they existed. Um, you know, I mean, that's where, I mean, Plato got the, the stories from from Egypt. Uh, he didn't create mm-hmm. those. He he basically transcribed those from, from Egypt and, and brought them to Greece. Um, you know, I believe that they existed, that there was some sort of, um, some ancient civilization that was out there. We don't quite understand exactly what that was because we don't really have any information or details. We see you know, some scant 
you know, bits of archaeological uh, evidence that may or may not uh, be related to Atlantis. And anytime that you use the A word, mm-hmm. you automatically get scoffed by the scientific community. So, uh, but yeah, I believe that there was certainly a, uh, and, and this is where people get hung up. Um, you know, we'll use the terms that it was a, you know, a higher, a higher advanced uh, civilization. It was a, uh, they had higher technology. We're not talking computers and cell phones and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're talking about a higher uh, civilization than compared to other civilizations at that time. And then once they met with their cataclysm, whatever truly happened, that knowledge was lost to time. Right. You know how how in the world were some of these things around the world built? You know, you you look at you look at the pyramids. You look at like Baalbek. You look at go back, Lee Tepe. How in the world did these ancient civilizations build these things um, with, without the right tools? Some of these different mm-hmm. um, structures in in South America that there's no way that you know with modern technology you're like okay, you know, you know we could lift that with a crane, but we would need this huge, massive, freaking crane <laughs> in order to to lift this thing. Right. Um, you know and. And the scientists are trying to say, well, yeah, but they, you know, we had these people drag it up this road on the side of the mountain. It's like, uh, okay, yeah, the thing is, you, you may be able to get 200 people to drag that thing, but the road isn't wide enough. Like they would have been falling down the mountain. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so these, these crazy things. Okay, so how did they do it? Um, you know, a lot of people think that it was used with some sort of sound technology. Well, that's that's, what I, that's kind of like what I lean towards is like some kind of sound yeah. levitation. Yeah, yeah, that, that's uh, um, you know, and we're able to show that in the lab that you can yeah. use sound to levitate things, but we're we're we are levitating things like styrofoam balls, right? <laughs> yeah, <We're, laughs> these people were apparently levitating you know things that were a thousand tons, you know, which is which is kind of insane to think about. That's how heavy those a thousand tons. We're lifting styrofoam balls. Um, so how did they do that? Uh, they had some sort of technology that we don't have today. It's very, very different. Again, we're not talking computers and cell phones, but a technology that could lift large, huge stone blocks into these, you know, crazy configurations that there's no way we could do it. And you see some of the, you know, you know, the machine tooling, uh, how these things are perfectly cut. And, you know, you you have these engineers looking at it like, I could do that with a laser or a diamond bit, you know, and something that these people apparently didn't have back then. So how did right. they do it? So, yeah, so they so had that technology polygonal polygonal, I can never mind, you know, what I'm talking about construction mm-hmm. is, is just incredible. I mean, you can't get a piece of paper between them and it's absolutely perfect. Yeah. Something exactly. that we couldn't so, do. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, Today, it's like, you know, with, we're just now coming into that technology. So, yeah, I, I believe these civilizations existed. I believe that there was some sort of cataclysm that happened and the survivors dispersed out into the world. And, you know, the legends got passed down, but those that survived weren't necessarily the people that actually developed the technology. So they couldn't, you know, pass on that technology. It just fell away mm-hmm. into legend and lore. Right. I have a friend, my my regular co-host, Jared Murphy. His theory is that after the cataclysm, the people that were left were somehow put into like safe mode. 
for a while <laughs> until they were ready for that technology again so they wouldn't repeat the same mistake. Oh, that's an interesting idea, put in a safe mode. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he calls maybe, it. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, you know, it's okay. So what was the, the, you know, what was the cataclysm? Well, I mean, everybody talks about the flood. You know, I, I mean, we know for a fact that happens. It's not just the, yeah. the Bible story. It's like almost every civilization, ancient civilization on earth has some sort of flood story. So it happened. Well, it kicked off the flood. And so this is one that has, you know, become, you know, great debate. You know, was it, some people believe it was a, um, you know, a comet that crashed into earth. Some people believe it was solar flares. Um, we don't know what in the world kicked it off. You know, there's some, some that even believe that, you know, Atlantis imploded on itself and called, caused the flood. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I've, I've floated out the idea there. Okay. So, you know, what if Atlantis was a giant portal and, you know, they brought something into this world from somewhere else out in the cosmos that caused this by utilizing their, their portal. I mean, it's just a, just a a random idea, Uh but you never know. Maybe that happened. And it's also like with Atlantis, the description that Plato gives of the circular, you know, concentric circles inside of each other, it, it it aligns with other structures that we found in Earth. Like when I looked at like first discovered like the Eye of Africa, I was like, wow, it looks just like the description of Africa. I mean, I don't think that's necessarily Atlantis, but I think that structure, that 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 shape, or or, or Stonehenge has that same type of structure to it. So. It came from somewhere. Yeah, the Eye of Africa is really interesting. I don't necessarily believe that it's Atlantis, but I, I think you could maybe make a case for that survivors of Atlantis came mm-hmm. there remembering, of course, you know the way Atlantis was constructed and tried to reconstruct it there. I think that's a possible idea. There, there's a lot of different ideas of where Atlantis um, you know, possibly was, you know, whether it was the Azores or... Um, Oh gosh, is that place in Spain? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that there was one central. I don't think Atlantis was just one city and that was it. Right. I believe it was more of a culture that yes, there was like a capital city that you know was destroyed, but that there were other you know parts of that civilization, like maybe city states or what have you, um, you know, around the world or maybe around the region at least. Still, so you would call you know this person in Atlantean, even though it wasn't like the city of Atlantis. Yeah. So they still would have had some of that knowledge and some of that lore, so that. Even if, you know, Atlantis, the city was destroyed, they at least had a memory of it. And maybe that's where, you know, places like, you know, Eye of, Eye of Africa came or, uh, you know, Sardinia. So a lot of those mm-hmm. structures are, you know, possibly influenced by Atlantean structures, right. which is kind of interesting to think right. about. The, the, the Henges, you know. Yep, yep. I mean, they all had that similar circle within a circle type of... You know, maybe that was just like making a model of it. Yeah, and you see in some of these, um, you know, in, in a lot of this ancient artwork, you know, you see it like all over Newgrange. You even see it in, you know, like our our Southwest uh, Chaco Canyon, where mm-hmm. you have the the petroglyphs yeah. of you the know, circles. all of these circles. And you know, so you know, where the, are these you know drawings of of portals? Are they drawings? Are they Atlantis? Are they you know drawings of the the solar system, the galaxies? You know, it could be 
it could be one of those. It could be all of them. It, yeah, it could be a combination of all. All of the above, would, I think, would be the most obvious answer. Is they, you know, been gathering this information from all these different sources, and it all came together and like they're one one system like that. And that's kind of what we do: is we gather a bunch of information and we put it all together and create something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, we're we're seeing we're seeing records. Uh, of our ancient past and we're just I mean we're, we're trying to make sense of it but you know with only having fragments of information the, the problem is we try to put it into um, a, a modern context yeah. you know, we have our own belief systems in the way you know the, kind of the lens that we have viewed the world through and you know the, the ancients viewed the world very differently than we do and so I, I think we get hung up on uh, on that lens, and we need to figure out what their lens, what their view of the world was, to be able to understand what they were trying to tell us and what they actually did back then. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I know I drifted way off the top. Sorry, <laughs> of shadow people there. No, it's all good. <laughs> so, uh, before we wrap it up, where can my listeners find you and find your books? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me at MikeRicksecker.com. You can find all my books out there. Of course, uh, you can find the books at uh, Amazon.com. I have 11 right now. The most recent, A Walk in the Shadows, Complete Guide to Shadow People. Uh, You can find out information about my new docuseries on uh, shadow entities at ShadowDimension.com. That should be coming out this spring. Something mm-hmm. something's got a little uh, confused with distribution last week. So, <laughs> um, but that that should be still coming out this spring. ShadowDimension.com, and then I also have a website called ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Uh, this is I'm, gonna, I'm uploading courses there right now on you know shadow entities, interdimensional beings, all these different things that we talked about uh, with the universe. And then there's a membership site where um, I have access to all kinds of articles on this information. I have uh, sneak peek and behind the scenes videos on a lot of the video work that I've been doing, these places I've been going to, the shadow dimension uh, as well, monthly Q&A videos. And then I have uh, special live stream video access to um, my Beyond the Shadow show out there as well. That's great. I'll definitely post the links to all those websites in the notes of this episode so my listeners can check them out while they're listening. And uh, thanks for taking the time to be on tonight. It was great talking to absolutely. you. Yeah, definitely, Gary. Actually, absolutely appreciate it. Awesome. Now, hang on one second. I'm just going to play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy T-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page www.everythingimaginable2020.com Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. And it's on Amazon. It'll change your life. Because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.